absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan. And I've got my co-host, the man who's not out soliciting prostitutes on the street. Therefore, he's not winning golf tournaments. Scott. Scott, what's the good word? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's something I should or other golfers should start thinking about. Um, you know, where, where's Smiley Kaufman? I mean, has anyone seen him? Is he on like a corner in Vegas? I, I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm fascinated with this Uh perpetual golfer lifestyle of picking up prostitutes and being accomplished golfers it all started with tiger he was at the height of his career and he was picking them up nonstop, left and right and it fueled him and now uh now we get tommy ganey who a few weeks ago was busted for soliciting prostitutes not actually prostituting himself i don't think that would go too well he'd probably make more money playing golf but soliciting prostitutes and and here he wins the uh the first Corn Ferry Tour event of the year leads the Corn Ferry Tour rankings. It's unbelievable, Scott. Uh, not only that, he won the. It was at Sandals Emerald Bay, which uh, that sounds like the name of a place you would go to pick up a prostitute. Yeah, I think that's like where you would definitely take them. You know, I'm not sure if Bohemian prostitutes charge a higher fee since they're like very island locked. You know what I mean? They're very landlocked. There's nothing else mm. around them. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how those transactions work. I wonder if he puts them on like a uh, an IOU, like, hey, if I finish top ten, I'll give you this much. If I win, I give you this much. If you help me win, I'm not sure how that works. I don't know that. See now, here's the thing: Does the Matt Kuchar caddy rule apply? Um. <laughs> well, the thing. You know? I mean, I guess. I guess she was. You know, they could have been carrying his shafts and his sticks. I'm not positive. You know, his balls. Um. Yeah, I'm not sure how that works, Scott. I really. I, I fascinated by it because you know what's funny is these guys live a very transient lifestyle, and you know, you yeah. and I have been involved in golf. A long time and we know that it attracts some of the coolest people in the world but it also attracts a very weird cross-section of uh of individuals and you know primarily males and left to their own devices i mean uh, maybe maybe that's what the majority of them do at tournaments and you're right you brought up matt kuchar which is very interesting a guy that for for years over a decade we thought was a clean cut squeaky image guy and then we all know how that went and how that kind of went by the wayside but you know maybe well not just maybe i mean let's be honest mm -hmm. we know some of them uh behind the scenes are not what they are uh, made out to be by the sponsors and television hosts etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah exactly and you we never know what goes on um they like you said they live a transient lifestyle they're in hotels and rented houses and you know they're there for a week and then they move on to the next place and then they move on to the next place and then they're home for a week uh so you know with the exception of the you know the people who are traveling with their wives and families um i mean who really knows what's going on when they're out on the road yeah i feel like a lot of athletes have that uh feeling of anonymity if you will, because I'm only in town for a week or 
I mean, hell with a pro golfer, you could be in town for three or four days if you missed the cut. Um, and then it's like, all right, I jumped to the next town. I jumped to the next town. I jumped to the next town. I mean, even being out and covering some tour events, it's, 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 it's weird. You know, you feel like at home on the golf course and then you leave it and you're like, okay, I'm in a strange city. What do I do? You know? And, and who knows? I don't know Tommy Ganey's home life. Maybe he's lonely. You know what I mean? Um, but well, and, it, that, and that's the thing. Like they're out on the road. They're lonely. They're bored. You know, you play golf. You're done at four o'clock. You know, what are you, you going to do the rest of the day? Hookers and blow, I guess. I don't know. Uh, apparently, if you're Tommy Ganey, um, this tournament, by the way, had a sneaky good field. Yeah, it really did. So I was talking with, you know, shout out to our boy, Mike Creed, who's caddying for Tyson Alexander. Tyson was tied 12th the first day at one under, and then the wind just blew him off the leaderboard and over the cut line on day two. Uh, if anyone watched the tournament there, uh, the Great Exuma Classic or Challenge, whatever it was called, the the fairways were were rather wide and uh, playing relatively soft. But, you know, when you have winds blowing 25, 35 miles an hour, he was texting me pictures of the wind warnings and the gale warnings there, and it's just jungle. Like, if you haven't watched it on TV, um, you know, I think the replay's tonight because we're recording on Wednesday. By the time you hear this, it'll be Thursday or so. But just just watch it. It's, it's nuts. You get two feet off the fairway, and you cannot find a ball. It's like golf course, and then one foot off the one foot off the rough. Excuse me, not the fairway. One foot out of the rough, it becomes Jurassic Park. It's insane, Scott. Yeah, um, a lot, and I think a lot of courses down there are kind of like that. Yeah, well, you know what it is. It's it's they are set up for resort play with wind. They're not set up to play seventy five hundred yards with wind. Right. Um, some of the the shots were just you know there was a uh a, gosh uh pope i can't remember his first name hit a five iron 147 yards into the wind you know we saw guys hitting with the wind hitting pitching wedge you know 165 170 it's just it becomes kind of a crapshoot it's fun to watch i love seeing guys struggle i mean that's part of the masochist in me i guess but uh pretty crazy tournament overall and 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 a lot of the caddies don't you know funny inside fact a lot of the caddies don't like going to the bahamas and will choose not to start their corn tour season till they hit the states because it's so expensive down there and again they're playing on the corn ferry tour so these guys are playing for an entire purse of 650 grand not a winner's check of 650 but an entire purse of 650 so you can imagine a guy finishing in 35th place what he's making and then in turn what he's paying the caddy so the caddies are really almost doing pro bono work down there and then they you know can't wait to head to the states and kind of make some hay right and that yeah i mean just for perspective 600k is like second place at an average tour event oh yeah i mean last week on tour for the sony i think it was a 6.9 million dollar purse so you're right. right. A winner, a winner's getting like 1.1. The second place is getting 700k, and then you're going down from there. Exactly. So yeah, tough living, nevertheless. But uh, I, I, God, I don't know. I don't want to say congrats to Tommy Ganey, but I guess well played. Uh, I mean, he won. He actually, I mean, he he won pretty handily. Um, so, you know, it's pretty solid. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to one of our friend of the pods and one of our buddies, Brennan Steele. Uh, Brennan Steele finished runner-up 
in the Sony Open. To who? Cameron Smith? Is that right, Scotto? Cameron Smith. A man, Cameron Smith, who uh, Cameron I, Smith I, is. I, go ahead. I would like to point out third place, one shot out of the playoffs. My pick last week, Webb Simpson. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to mention it out loud. Uh, so you did not have any commitment last week when you picked Webb Simpson, but I, I feel like you were trying to lull me in to not picking him by that, and it worked. I picked Morikawa, who who was in the lead after day one, and I tried to mm-hmm. rub it in your face, but we know that golf is a marathon and not a sprint, and lo and behold, Scott literally won last week. So I am 0-2. I have been beaten by Derek in week one at Kapalua and by Scott at YLI. So, uh, again, if you are a degenerate gambler like Tyler, um, probably don't take my advice. I would lean more on Derek and Scott for that. But good call with that, Scotto. So uh, I guess the whole tournament boils down to the last two holes, which took about an hour to play. Uh, It was an absolute cluster. You had mud all around the green. It was pouring rain. Uh, Daylight is running out. And Brennan Steele kind of had to wait over and over for some shots to be played. And I think it just kind of, I think he lost his mojo. You know, he had a three-stroke lead. He was cruising to it. And then all these extraneous factors come out. You got guys hitting out of the sand trap, um, having to hit provisionals. He hit one over the green, had to get a drop. Then you go to a playoff after the guy, you know, thought he was probably going to win. And I think it was just too much. And it was just right place, right time for Cameron Smith. And uh, our man, Brendan Steele, good friend, finished his second. Would have loved to have seen him win and, uh, you know, kind of get back to his winning ways. He's a, he's a, an early season winner, as we know. He's a big yes. fan of, uh, of those early season tournaments. Yeah. Um, and he won in California last year, right? Yeah, he always wins. He always wins uh, the Wine Barrel Classic. Yeah, the Wine Barrel one. So, but yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, again, it just it felt like it got away from him. And I mean, it's, you know, obviously it's still pretty good coming in second and, you know, starting your season off, you know, I would say right. But getting the win would have been nice. Yeah, you know, the big thing is is that it, it's not, again, everyone thinks, ah, oh, they win so much money for it. I mean, they don't. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> they don't win a lot when you compare it to other pro athletes. Like, you could be a pro no. football player with a guaranteed contract and, and miss eight games with a concussion and play in eight games or seven games and make, you know, $15 million a year. Um, so, no, they don't. Now, over the course of their lifetime with longevity, if they're good, yeah, they'll end up making more, but... You know, they're definitely undervalued in terms of what they make the tour monetarily. But good on him. It, it is a great way to start the season. But the point I'm trying to make is the fact that the winning is great for the money. But the winning is even more important for that two-year exemption. I mean, it's just enormous. Especially if you win, like when he wins in the early season, it almost turns into a two-and-a-half-year exemption. I mean, you have two full years to plan your life out on tour and play literally carefree golf. Make equipment changes if you want. Try this, try that, because nothing can happen to you. You're keeping your tour card for two full years. Right. And that's, I mean, the you know, one win is it, it's such a huge difference. 
between you know the the people who have you know no wins and just that one win it buys you that freedom and it buys you that much less stress worrying about whether or not you're going to be able to get into this tournament or or that tournament having to worry like you know how am i going to have to travel this week not this week am i going to make it into this field um it's just one less thing to have to worry about i love i love i love that word i mean that that's it we don't have to say another word about it. Freedom. That's exactly what it does. It buys them yep. freedom on the PGA Tour. You walk with your chest out, shoulders back, heads up. I won. Like, you're not touching me for two years, baby. I'll do whatever the hell I want now, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and just also having that, you know, a name, that title attached to your name, you know, forever. You're forever a PGA Tour winner. Uh, and, you know, and if you look at, you know, the list of people who have, you know, won that one time and, and can't get back there, um, it's a it's a list of people. And, you know, you, you almost feel for some of them like, oh, wow, he won that one tournament. But, you know, when's he going to get back to it? And some of them never do. So, um, it, you know, in this case, obviously, I know Brandon still doesn't have anything to worry about. But again, having that you know, extension to that, those exemptions would have been, you know, really good for him. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, some guys win, you mentioned like those one-time winners, sometimes those guys win and it, it's them catching lightning in a bottle. This to me seemed like the exact opposite. Like he got hit by lightning, you know, on that 17th hole, oh, everything yeah. kind of everything yep. kind of went downhill. But th- so the one thing that was interesting to me, which I'm going to lead into a question I want to talk about, um, it's funny because like on on course commentary usually always leads to a few things when you're playing with people it leads to like the state of your game what clubs you're playing how would you redesign this course but then one of the things you and i always talk about which i wanted to kind of bring out to the podcast listeners is what would you shoot on your home course if it was lined with galleries and grandstands and scoreboards and you really couldn't lose a ball because it would hit into the gallery and you know, those balls that would go OB uh, hits off a fat ball guy's head and you got to sign a glove and give it to him. Or like the Brennan Steele thing where he hits it completely over the green. I mean, probably flew it by like two clubs and gets this amazing drop with this dead straight line through the trees to the pin. You know, like if you had scoreboards there and all that stuff, do you think, Scott, that the guys on tour have a little bit of an advantage just based on the number of people that are out there to look for lost balls, to kind of help wayward shots, if you will, getting these drops from the grandstands. How many strokes do you think that makes for an average person like you and I? You know, maybe single digit to, to mid to high handicap golfers. Think, think it would make any difference if they were out playing their home course, but it was set up like a tour event with all the trappings? Hmm. That's interesting because I, so, and again, when you play a course frequently, you know, the spots where it's okay if I miss on this hole. Um, so, uh, you know, I can, you know, go all out with a drive or, you know, holes where you know that you can't do that because, you know, your miss puts you in a spot where you're going to have a lot of problems. Um, I also think, and there's this one hole at the, the course I, I used to be a member at where it's a it's a blind tee shot and if you're just a little bit to the right it's it the ball is essentially always lost in the rough 
And even if you hit like a good shot, if it trickles into that rough, it becomes almost impossible to find. And I just think how many times I've lost balls over there where if there were people there, the ball wouldn't be lost. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it would, at least for me, I would say it would pick up over the course of, of four 18-hole rounds, I'd probably pick up a good two or three shots just on yeah, that hole. I, I, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. I think when you hear people say like, oh, dude, I'd save five shots around like uh, you wouldn't i mean maybe maybe you would if you shoot like 120 or so but then five shots really isn't making a difference but i think for anyone under 100 or close to 100 shooting um you know a stroke or two here or there would probably be kind of right in the ballpark um this is something and funny enough this is something that happened to me the year after i won my club championship i was in second place on the second day uh, on the ninth hole, and you know the course very well on on hole number mm-hmm. nine there, and it was soaking wet because that course is always wet. It's just a swamp, and it sits in a little valley. And I hit my tee shot, and I split the fairway on a par five in in, in a distance that I thought I was going to be able to get home in two. And we get up there, and we're looking, and we're looking, and this is a hole where the left side of the fairway is probably about 30 feet above the right side of the fairway. So everything slopes hard. And there's actually a local rule that if your ball hits the fairway and rolls out of it onto the cart path or into the road, you can replace it back into the fairway where it left. That's how severe it is. So a lot of guys will aim for like the right side of the fairway and just try to bomb it and hope it catches a piece and then they know they can drop it in there and they have no worries. So I split the fairway and we get up there and no one can find it. And everyone in the group agrees that it hit the middle of the fairway. And it was so wet that we were trudging around. Like, we couldn't even get to the middle middle of the fairway because it was like quicksand. Like, we would have sunk. So no one knows what to do. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Should I just drop? Should I go back to the tee? And they're like, okay, let's call the pro. Now, the pro at the time was a different pro than we have, not we, but that there is now. And... You know, he was like, um, we I call him an Iron Man pro, Scott. Do you know why I would call him that? Because uh, he was there forever? No, it's because he was a drunk like Tony Stark in Iron Man. Ah, so okay. we call him up and we're like, hey, Mike, um, you know, here's the situation. What should we do? And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a bad spot on number nine. Okay. I know that, dude. I can't find my ball after I split the fairway. Like, I'm, I'm one stroke out of the lead. What should I do? He's like, well, you're going to have to take the penalty and go back and re-tee. And, Scott, I will tell you, there is no walk lonelier anywhere on the face of the earth than mm-hmm. a man having to walk back to the tee with a ball, a tee, and a driver in his hand and hitting three off that tee. It is the most solitary walk and my round just completely fell apart after that. But if I had some people looking for it or some mm-hmm. fans, you know, maybe they could have pointed me in the right direction. Right. If there's someone there, then there's a good chance that ball's going to be found. Yeah. Or not. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Whatever. Um, all right. So what I want to do is I want to add a new segment to the podcast. And uh, we've tried some segments in the past. Some of them work, some of them don't. 
But this one I feel is going to work because we have such great engagement with our Instagram listeners and our Instagram followers. Um, anytime we post something, people are, are so awesome and giving us feedback and replying and stuff. And so every time that we record a pod, we're going to post just a question out there. What do you got? All right, what do you got for us? Ask us a question. Simple as that. Um, because, look, there's sometimes there's things that, as Scott and I are doing show prep notes, we overlook, you know? And we're not going to go to every single one because, quite honestly, you don't want to hear us talk about 15, 25, 35 Instagram questions. We'll p- take the best two, all right? Because I don't think that's going to take too much time. So every time we record, we're going to take the best two questions. And here's the first one we have for tonight, which I thought was a pretty interesting one. And this one is... Can Tiger carry his President Cup success and mojo into Tory Pines and into Riv? Scott, do you think it happens, or do you think there's too much time being passed in between the President's Cup and his first start of the year at Tory? So, do I think it happens? I do, um, because the, essentially the only thing that hold there's two things that keep Tiger Woods down. One is injuries, and two is Tiger Woods. Okay, I thank you. I'm so glad you said it because literally public enemy number one to Tiger Woods is Tiger Woods. Oh, absolutely. He and, might and be the most self-destructive athlete in history. That's very fair. Uh, so considering those two things, forget about Mojo. Forget about coming off the President's Cup. Forget about coming off the Zozo. And almost none of that matters because Tiger Woods has been spending that time making sure his golf swing's okay, making sure his body's in good shape. I'm sure living clean and not doing crazy things. Um, and what you will end up with is a Tiger Woods that's ready to play. And, you know, I, I just I, I see a big season out of him because I feel like the two things that are hold that have held him back traditionally are not going to be holding him back this season. All right. I agree. That's my take on it. Okay. I agree with, with part of that. Okay. First off, I need you to define big season. In Uh, your mind, what does he need to do in order for it to be a big season? uh, He needs to win one major and let's say, two more regular tour events. All right. I want to be again and again. When you talk about Tiger Woods, one major and three tour events, because he's already won one. um, That doesn't seem like a big season, but it is. Tiger 4.0. Yes. Big season. Agreed. Um, I want to be wrong on this, but I do not think Tiger wins a major. I do think, however, he's going to win a higher profile tournament. Maybe Bay Hill, okay. maybe Muirfield, um, maybe Those the players. Are Those are places he's played well. So. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, I'm not going out on a limb. Trust me on that. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. Hey, he might win it at Bay Hill. Yeah, he's won eight times. You idiot. Like I know, I get it. I, you know, I understand. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to say I'm not sure he carries his success from the President's Cup into the first part of the season, uh, you know, in California. Um, I only say that because I feel like Tiger is going to be, from here on out, 
uh, I hate to keep using this cliche in, in this episode, but a lightning in the bottle type guy where kind of everything needs to go right and everything else needs to go wrong for other people in order for him to win. We saw that at the Masters. I mean, granted, mm-hmm. Tiger played extremely smart, but it was also everyone else collapsing around him and Brooks and DJ being too far away from him to catch up at the end. Um, it's not like he did anything otherworldly. Do you know what I mean? He, but 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 with that being said... He is now morphing into this new creation of a golfer that is learning to win in different ways. It doesn't have to be the hero shot. It doesn't have to be go out and dominate and win by 15 anymore. So while I feel like his margin of error is much less than it used to be, I do feel like the experience is going to help him out. So I'm going to pencil him in for, for one win. But I think it's going to be a dynamic win. I think it's going to be a, a hole out on 18 or a chip in or, or something like that that's going to add again to the mystique. But I'm not, I'm not sure that, that I agree with the fact that maybe he's going to play like a quote-unquote full schedule. And see, the problem with Tiger is it's this warm-up time. He needs two, three tournaments to kind of warm up, I feel, to get to those winning ways. And is he going to play enough to have those tournaments beforehand to get warm? Like, obviously, with him, everything's geared towards the Masters, right? Let, let's let's agree on that. I, I would think in his mind that's the tournament, the major that he has the best chance of winning. For sure. For sure. I mean, I think he almost knows that the U.S. Open, if it is at a course that is playing really soft— He's probably not going to win that. The Open Championship, there's a lot of quirks involved. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that are playing great that don't necessarily show themselves because of being on the wrong side of the draw or or maybe traveling overseas, stuff like that. You know, even though most of the guys are used to it nowadays. But there's quirks within that tournament. So, yeah, I think it's the Masters, and depending on where the PGA is played each year, uh, the PGA Championship. But, but his entire year is geared towards the Masters. See, I actually think Masters obviously won, um, but I actually think the Open Championship is his second best uh, chance of winning because, like you said, weird things do happen. Um, And I think just him being him and and having the golf IQ that he has, um, where other people might not be able to deal with some of the quirkiness that the Open brings out, Tiger has seen everything and, and done everything. So. Yeah, I can, I can, I can agree with that. I think, I think that's a fair assumption. He can navigate his way around a course, Sands Drive or Sands Three Wood, and, and keep the ball in front of him. Play small ball, if you will, you know, play yep. kind of whitey ball, small ball, and and just kind of knock it around and and make a few putts. I mean, and even at at this age, he's still one of the best putters, so you can't count him out. Uh, hey, yeah. that question came from Jcus thirty three, so thank you for that. Um, and then the next question, and this is from Legend Golf Company. And we want to thank Joe at Legend for doing our ball markers and different repair tools. And he's actually working on them as we speak. He's starting up the machine tomorrow and Friday. So for everyone that ordered, those will be coming in the mail soon. And, of course, we'll keep you up to date on that. But he does some great work. And we did not pick. Trust me. We are very transparent in this show. I think you know that. We did not pick it because of the amazing work he did with our dip repair tools and ball markers. It's a question that's near and dear to Scott and my heart and everyone else that lives in an area of the country that can't play golf through the winter. And he simply says, how do you maintain sanity through these long winter months? Hmm. 
Scott, you and I have talked about this nonstop. I mean, for you and I, I'm going to give you my answer right here. This podcast, talking to you twice a week, doing interviews with people, engaging with our listeners and our, our followers and our fans out there. This gets me through the winter now. But a year ago, when this didn't exist, yeah, I, I would go stir crazy. And I will tell you this, the only saving grace for a Northeast golfer is the fact that you put the clubs kind of, quote-unquote, away for a bit. Now, I argue with Tyler, the creator, over this because he put his clubs away. I said, you're not doing that. You're going to keep them on hand. You're just going to kind of give them – they're going to go in for a little nap. You know what I mean? It's not hibernation. It's just a quick nap because mm-hmm. you need to wake them up every once in a while in the winter. But the only saving grace is the fact that in the spring – when you get out to the range and you hit in those first few rounds, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like falling in love all over again. Mm. So what, so I, I, I'm glad you mentioned doing this podcast. Cause that was something I was thinking about. Uh, you know, obviously this keeps us engaged in the game. Um, you know, I, I don't like playing golf with anyone more than I like playing with you. So we can't do that most of the time, but we can do this pretty easily. Um, and then, uh, you know, as we were talking before we started, uh, I start scheduling uh, my weekend like range trips now. Uh, usually, you know, right around the middle of January, I'll start, you know, every either Saturday or Sunday, you know, just one day weekend, head out to the range, you know, hit a, a you know, not like a lot of balls, but just a, a medium bucket just to kind of keep it loose, you know, keep the clubs from getting rusty. And, yeah, and then obviously as I get closer to the spring, the weather starts getting better. I hit more balls, and usually around April, the range I go to has a like a demo day where they bring in different vendors, and I'll go and hit a bunch of new clubs, and that's what I kind of like really get excited for it. And then, yeah, and then by that point, it's usually nice enough to you know play some rounds. So I kind of just look forward to those things, and that that keeps me going. I know you and I have the same putting green in our basement. Um, have you been doing anything inside the house with the game? The only thing that I've been doing, I'll be honest, has been putting. And one of the things that I'm working on is letting my right hand control. Uh, this season, I got really, I, I don't know, I don't know why, but I got really big into my left hand kind of overpowering, and then I was pu- uh, just pulling and pull hooking the ball. You know, Tiger always talks about, drawing the ball into the hole that's the way he visualizes it um i see that as well because i have an extremely strong arc stroke so what i'm trying to do what i'm working on this winter is one simple thing and that's letting my right hand control everything and and my left hand be a guide hand basically like shooting a basketball you know my left hand is just there as a guide it's it's not impacting it's not influencing the stroke at all and i let my right hand do all the work so that's that's my one goal this winter because i want to come because my swing is my my, i'm happy you know what i mean like i I get to the range once a week maybe sometimes twice a week i I set the net up in the garage and i'll hit balls for an hour hour and a half and i'm good like i'm solid the clubs are solid sparkle did a great job with them but i want to hit the ground running when Mm. march comes when late february comes you know and i've been i've been privileged to play a few late winter rounds or i guess early winter rounds excuse me but um you know rounds in the winter time that i normally wouldn't get and i've played four or five times so far um you know what i would consider winter golf but i'm still out there 
but the putting is what is not real in the winter. You know, you can hit all the shots and the ball's not right. going to fly as far, but the put- the putting's not the same. So that's the one thing I'm working on. Are you working on anything specific? So that put- so when when I bought that putting green, um I bought one the one I bought's huge. Um so originally that went in the the basement in our old house when we didn't have as much stuff that we were storing down there. Um, the new house, we have a ton of stuff we're storing in our basement and there's really no room to lay that out. Um, so I actually haven't used the putting green in a while. Um, but I actually was thinking about maybe getting a smaller one, setting it up here in the podcast studio and then rolling it up, um, you know, when it's not in use. So, Hey, just um, so you know, you can cut that thing pretty easily because, I cut mine down since I had to turn it the other way once I redid the podcast studio here. And I cut mm. it down to about eight feet. So it fits perfectly. Remember, the one I had was like mm. 18 or 20 feet long. It was just, it was crazy. Yeah, mine's 16 by four. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's a it, big putting green. Yeah, it, it literally will not fit in this room. Uh, you know, th- this room's 12 by 12. Uh, <laughs> so... I use it outside actually. Um, in the when the weather's out, nice. I'll I'll take it out and leave it out on the the driveway and pull it in when it's going to rain. Um, but it, for the most part, it kind of stays out there, and uh, you know I use it all, all summer long out there. Uh, so I don't want to cut that one down. So I may just pick up a smaller one. Understood. Understood. All right. Um, so that that question was from Legend. And uh, we thank you those two Instagram questions for the night. All right, Scott, moving on, if we will. The patron saint of Leave the Pin is up in arms again because he feels that the tour is unjustly picking on him, which, you know, is a very Bryson thing to say. Uh, mm-hmm. Bryson is a very woe is me type guy. They're allowed to get me. Um, I, for one, love it because just the content he creates is amazing. But the PGA Tour is in the process of implementing its new slow play policy. First off, here are the things that I love. They are doing three months of education with the players, and then it's going to be released at the um, the uh, Harbor Town in Hilton Head Island. Okay, so so, so smart, not just throwing it out there and saying this is the rule now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm I'm enamored with that because you know with the USGA rules of golf. Um, you know, a lot of guys would claim that they were blindsided, even though they had a lot of time. But I'm not too sure the PGA Tour did a great job on um, kind of keeping the guys in the loop of that. They kind of made it like, well, you know, this is what's going to happen. You guys got to pay attention to it. But since this is a PGA Tour initiative, of course, they're do- going above and beyond for it. So here's what they're going to do. They're, they're starting an observation list, and that is a 10-tournament rolling list and players are going to get 60 seconds per shot if they're on the observation list. So basically that means that a tour official or somebody from ShotLink, and here's the problem, ShotLink is run by volunteers, right? Yes. Like ShotLink is a 72-year-old retired guy who's following these players and pushing buttons. Um, that could be a problem. And I think that's one of the the things that the players are like, all right, cool, whatever, let them do it. Because you know what I'll just say? Hey, the guy didn't enter it correctly. You know, things along those lines. But if you're on the observation list, you get 60 seconds to play a shot. 
If a rules official observes slow play, a player on that list can be penalized, even if their group is in position. Now, this I love because when you play with fast players, the slow players kind of disappear into the weeds, you know, because the other guys are playing so fast. You don't realize that this guy's taking two minutes, three minutes per shot because the other guys are taking 30 seconds. And as an overall whole, the group is actually keeping up in their group pace of play. But now they're going to be going individually. What do you think about that? I think that's a sly move on the PGA Tours part. It is because then, it see, and that's the thing. There's so many times where, uh, you know, you hear it, you know, the group is put on the clock, but it's not the whole group that's slow necessarily. Right, exactly, exactly. So now it, it, it is calling out essentially the person who is being, you know, playing so slow. Yeah. So, uh, so that's so, one of the things Bryson says is he says, well, I'm being unfairly penalized because people already think I'm slow, but now other guys will play slow around me, forcing me to play slow. And then I'm going to get penalized, you know, and, and again, that's how his brain works. Um, he, just, he just overthinks everything. And, 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 I, I like the guy. I think he's you know entertaining. He's obviously a great golfer, but that's the first place your head goes to because his ability to you know analyze data is you know throws him into that like mindset. Like just relax a little bit. Let's see how this plays out before you start freaking out over it. Yeah, I, I again does he have that that ability to analyze? data or is he just making us believe he has that ability he got he hey hey hey, he got to play dress up you know who knows (laughs) did did you see him did you see him play dress up with kepka over at the uh i don't know where they are uh, yeah i don't know middle east or something you know bryson's bryson's out there saying uh oh the, the kingdom is great i love the kingdom i love promoting it Meanwhile, the kingdom's out, you know, murdering its people and stuff like that. But Bryson's cool with it because he got to play dress. Uh, he didn't see any of it. So now, now, well, how could he? He had his safety goggles on. Right. Um. All right. So back to back to the 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 uh, slow play policy. Um. If you get an excessive shot time of 120 seconds to play a shot, it's two minutes. Like that's such a long time to hit a golf shot. Two minutes. Um, if you get two bad times in a tournament, and this is another thing I love, not a round, but two bad times during a tournament, you get a one stroke penalty. Then you get a one stroke penalty for every bad time after that and a $50,000 fine. Right. So that's great because you can have a slow, you know, cause here's what a lot of guys do. Well, I got a slow play call in round one. Well, okay. No big deal. Round two passes, I'm fine. But on the weekends, when I'm playing in a twosome, now I can be slower because just based on the fact that we have two people means we're going to play faster. But now the tour is sticking it to them. So they're, they're really kind of eliminating all factors. But the problem I have is this. There's, there's a big gray area, right? And, and the gray area is that if deemed, right, that's what they put in its, its um, constitution of slow play. If deem so if they deem the person to be playing it slow so you know there's going to be so many factors that go into it you know um right. well this 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 green to t walk was excessive 
And so, okay, don't, you know, don't put him on the clock for that. Or, well, yeah, he took 130 seconds. Oh, there, well, there was mud on the ball. Eh, don't put him on the clock for that. So I think, I think you're going to see a lot of that. I think the tour did that and put those words in there specifically to cater to its players because it's a player run organization. Right, exactly. And there's also, I mean, I think we both know there are going to be times where this rule uh, is not enforced. Just like a lot of things on tour, without a doubt. Exactly. But, you know, there is the article that I'm reading, um, you know, does have a a comment from Zach Johnson, who's on the PGA Tour Player Advisory Council. Right, he's on the pack, yep. Yeah, and, and he he says, you know, he loves it. Um, and, you know, I think the, the thing that I like the most about it is that there's that cumulative aspect to it. Um, I think it's brilliant. Exactly. And, you know, what he's saying is that it's, you know, it's proactive. And they're, you know, they're taking steps to speed things up. They're not reacting to slow play, you know, after the fact. This is something that is being done essentially for everyone, not just a group that seems to be playing slow that now is on the clock. Now everyone's essentially on the clock. Right, right. Well, it's it's funny because the tour said that they took a, a lot of data collection into this. And they say that 10% of players on tour averaged 45 seconds or more per shot, meaning 90% of the tour plays their shots in fewer than 45 seconds. Um, but let me, let me let the listeners in on this. Everyone thinks that when you're talking about slow play and you're talking about average time, that you're talking about a full swing. Well, you got to understand that a one-inch tap-in counts the same on the time as hitting a drive or hitting a chip. So mm-hmm. if, if, if you're telling, you know, if you're, if you're saying 45 seconds is the average, it literally means that someone could play a wedge shot in a minute and 29 seconds, hit it close, and then take a second to tap it in. You know what I mean? That, that average is 45 seconds. But guess what? The, the tap in doesn't do anything to speed up the play as right. much as the minute and 29 seconds he- he- uh, hurts the pace of play you know so it's not like those two things are congruent it's uh averaging 45 seconds a shot is is very very slow out there because a lot of these guys have uh probably 10 12 shots around where it's just a, a, a quick tap in a quick you know eight incher mark the ball put it down have to get out of a guy's way knock it in um you know, a, a, a layup on a par five even is going to be quicker because, you know, they're just hitting it to a specific number. Okay, I've got to hit it, what, 150 yards to that spot? Okay, give me the nine. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, and, and most tee shots are decided ahead of time. and so Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. on the tee box, all, the, all these guys are looking for is, is reconfirmation of what they've done in the practice rounds. Yep, exactly. It's, it's written down somewhere what they're doing. It'll be interesting. Um, like I said, RBC Heritage and Hilton Head is when they're going to enforce it. The Corn Ferry Tour said they're going to enforce it at a later date. They haven't specified when yet. Um, no word on Latino America, Mackenzie Tour in Canada, or 
PGA Tour China. And then who who knows if this those those places probably don't have this problem. I I would think not, and, and honestly, they don't have television to worry about or anything like that. And, you know, let's be honest, that's the real reason why any of this is coming to fruition. You know, it's not that the, the players don't really care. Most of these guys would probably rather play a little bit slower for the amount of money they're playing, but it's to fit inside a television window. That's why. Um, on, on a side note, um, would you like to hear who's on the 16-member 2020 Player Advisory Council? I know who's not. The patron saint of leave the pin is not. He got Definitely left not. off. He got left yeah. off. Yeah, go. I, 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 I would right. like. I can name. I can name a few off the top of my head. Um, I knew that Zach Johnson. Zach Johnson. Yep, he's on it. Um, nah, maybe I can't name a few off the top of my head. Okay, well, um, I'm going to give you the list. Um, they're in uh, reverse alphabetical order. Okay. So Harold Varner the third. Okay, he's a funny. He's a good. He's a good guy to be on that. Uh, there, there's a lot of good guys to be on. Speaks, this. speaks Justin, his mind. Yep, Justin Thomas. Okay, you got a guy. Yep, go. Okay, Kevin Streelman. Okay, an old, older head, if you will. Rom. Hmm. L- little, you know, little, little bit of a hothead, but that's uh, very interesting to me that yes. that John Rom is on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Palmer. Okay, veteran. Yep, Rory. That that that's that's that screams like uh, that screams. Wash my back, I'll wash yours. Mm, a little bit. How'd they Peter- get? How'd they had the PJ? How'd they get Rory on it? I think they vote. How or much do they pay? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe these guys are volunteers. And... Maybe they promised them another players' championship down the line. Okay, keep yeah. going. Uh, Peter Melnati. Okay. Uh, Nirbhan Lahiri. Hmm. You see, well, Anbon Lahiri, he's been yeah. like trying to Monday qualify for the last three years. How, how is he? He's not. He can't have a tour card. Uh, I wonder if some of this is they they they're trying to get some diversity. There's got to be a veteran status, like when WWE guys sign legacy contracts. They don't actually wrestle, but they give away like their names and likeness to the WWE. Mm. That's got <laughs> has to be it. Is he a tiger friend? Probably. Okay. Uh, Russell Knox. Okay. Pride of Zach Georgia, Johnson. I think. Yeah, Zach Johnson, another Georgia boy, Sea Island. Horschel. Another jo- oh, oh, okay. I see the trend. Sea Island Takeover. Sea mm. Island Mafia. Charlie Hoffman. Okay. Who, by the way, probably the only one on this list that I, I think would have ever been accused of slow play. And I think even that's a stretch. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Uh, David Hearn. Okay. Paul Casey. All right. Ryan Armour. Oh, I forgot one. Harry Higgs. Okay, so they've got some real young guns. Higgs is in his second year. Oh, uh, you've heard him. Okay, that was the one I was just like, who is Harry Higgs? Yeah, I think he's an Oklahoma boy or Oklahoma okay, State. I thought, they were, I thought they were doing the the which one of these guys is a fake tour pro. <laughs> That's one of my favorite segments. I do like that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to uh, – let me look that up real quick where he's uh, – I got him. He's a real person. 
Yeah, no, I know he's a real person, but where's uh? He's yeah. a, oh, he's a Dallas guy, but oh, he's born in Camden, New Jersey. Hmm. Where do you go to? Where do you go to college? Oh, I was just looking at his world golf ranking site just to see. He's got a Latino Tour America win. He's got a Corn Ferry. Oh, that's right. He won the Price Cutter last year on the Corn Ferry Tour. Hmm. Oh, he played for SMU. SMU. Okay. He played for SMU. So they basically, the PGA Tour said, we're going to take our favorite SMU golfer. And it wasn't Bryson, it was Harry Higgs. Mm. Bryson's pissed right now. Harry Higgs is listed as 6'2", 235. Do you think Bryson is literally trying to become Harry Higgs? Uh, there's definitely a possibility. That's wild. That's the tour's favorite SMU golfer. Yes. All right, listen. Well, that's that's good. I like that. I didn't I didn't uh I didn't know. I didn't know who was on it this year. I thought yeah, it'd be- it that's an interesting it's an interesting list. It's a, it's definitely a nice mix. Like I can imagine a meeting of those things and uh JT's chilling with with Rory. You know, Rom is is bitching about something and fire's coming out of his ears. The older guys are just armor and uh and uh yeah. someone else Palmer. you said I can't remember. Did you say I- Brian Palm was Palmer on it? Yeah. Yeah, him and, and Annabelle on the here we're talking about the good old days. Annabarn's t- talking about how he's trying to Monday qualify into McKenzie Tour events nowadays. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I'd like to be a fly on the wall for one of those. And then there's a there's a someone is the player director on the PGA Tour policy board. Oh, who's that? There's a, there's a well, so they actually there's a. a an election for that. Um, oh boy! Currently, the three candidates for that are Charlie Hoffman, Peter Malnati, and Justin Thomas. And that's do you, a. Do you, that's a, do you think a, they make? Uh, you think they make like high school esque signs? You know, vote for JT. Be with me. Vote for JT. I think they they do. Um, if you remember a couple years ago, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody made like a. A campaign, an anti. I do. Ah, God, I can't remember. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but right now, Johnson Wagner is actually the player director. His term ends next year. Okay, okay. I wonder if his terms end or they're kicking him off because of his awful mustache that he carries around all year. Mm. Mm. Fear the stash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> free haircuts if if I win. You know, yeah. long hair mm. don't care says that, or uh, you know, I'll have chicken nuggets in the cafeteria at Pontevedra every day. Both Read my me. lips, no more slow play penalties. <laughs> uh, all right, hey, last thing I want to talk about I mm. got uh, you ever go down an internet wormhole all the time? Yeah, that's, kind of- I, that's how I just discovered that list. <laughs> there you go. I was gonna say that's how you get through your day. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I went down an Anthony Kim internet wormhole today, and I'm telling you, Scott, there's a we we need we need personalities on tour nowadays. They play for too much money. The sponsors have too much of a hand in what goes on. 
But this is basically what I learned from going down an Anthony Kim wormhole. Um, I learned that Anthony Kim wanted his own reality show. Okay? And he wanted it to be him and Big Poppy from the Boston Red Sox. Okay. Um, he's big what? into girly music and rap, and he doesn't like heavy metal because, quote, I don't know why those people are always screaming. <laughs> okay, like that's great. Like I don't like girly music and I don't like much rap, but I I applaud this guy's honesty. This is this is all coming from like like an encore type interview. Um, he loves home cooking, and they said, "What do you love for home cookies?" Like I love my mom makes me a sandwich. Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, during one of the open championships, he retold this story, and then and so that was the first video. Then he told this story in the in that video. So I went to another video to see the story, and he was down on a side hill lie at the open championship, wearing white pants and that big stupid ass AK rhinestone belt buckle that he mm-hmm. wore. And as he was running to the green to see how the shot reacted. He slipped and fell, and it was a day that it was pouring rain, and his pants were just covered in mud. And I do not recall this at the time. Um, so it was phenomenal seeing something that I don't remember. And so he was a mess. Uh, then he to- – so I watched that video. Then he told a story about sitting on a fence post waiting for a tee shot to occur, and he broke the fence post and fell through it. So then I found that video. Then he talks about his favorite – person to play with and his best friend on tour and if you get this scott it's gonna blow my mind who do you think anthony kim's best friend on tour was hmm anthony kim's best friend on tour (sighs) from his mouth not mine huh who's somebody out there um that's a good train of thought very good train of thought it's like a John Daly. No, I mean I'd put him in the same category as Boo Weekly. Uh, okay, uh, I was gonna say Woody Austin, but uh, okay, that not bad. I would have accepted that, that too, because the age range there would have been a, a pretty wide. But Boo Weekly is right. in that that same same vein. So he he loves Boo Weekly. He's the best friend on tour, and then that led me to the Ryder Cup at Valhalla. Where obviously Boo's riding the pony, he goes off like third or fifth or something, but Anthony goes out, and I think in his most dominant performance, aside from setting the Masters record for most birdies in a round, was him destroying Sergio. And he beats Sergio on the 14th hole, right? Mm-hmm. Wins five and four over Sergio, and is in such a, a uh, Mindset. He's so locked in that he storms off to the 15th tee box and people are yelling at him that he doesn't have to play anymore because he won. Had no idea the match was over. That's so the most recent Anthony Kim story I can find online was from November of 2019. So last year. Um, It's Chris Como telling a story about how one time he and Anthony Kimber having lunch in a California pizza kitchen in 2008. And 
he tipped uh, the waitress like ten or twenty thousand dollars, and then the next year they went back, and she was excited to see him. Never to be heard from again. That this is literally a news story that is published by NBC Golf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was he was shown last um, at the end of last summer with like long hair and I think a tattoo, a sleeve, you know, a tattoo sleeve, um, and that was it. I mean, it. it it amazes me that no one is able to find him and just be like, hey, dude, what like what's up? Like, tell us about the insurance policy you took out and how you'd make more money not playing golf again after being injured than you would, you know, probably playing golf and having to come back on the grind. Tell us what you're doing with that money. Tell us tell us what your life's like. Tell us if you miss golf. Tell us what you're doing now. I'm just curious. That's all. Oh, in 2015, there, uh, there was an auction and somebody won a round of golf with Anthony Kim for about $25,000. Did he show up? Uh, it doesn't say. What do you think Anthony Kim would shoot right now at your local Muni? Uh, uh, my guess, my local Muni, uh, I'm thinking he's going mid 60s yeah i was gonna say 67 to 69 like straight out of the car trunk slamming walks up to the first tee shoots shoots to 67 i mean the 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 course that i'm thinking of the the first hole is a like 430 yard par five so he's eagle in that and then you know it's just straight on from there yeah yeah downhill from there Yep. Yeah, just interested to see what he's doing. That's all. Always liked him as a player. He was a f- little bit of a firebrand. I like that. Yeah, I, I just think it's funny that the, the mystique of him, you know, just kind of falling off the face of the earth. Like, you just Google it and just the stories that, like, come up on Google. Like, oh, you know, so-and-so remembers three years ago when Anthony Kim, you know, shot, you know, eleven made 11 birdies at the Masters. Like, <laughs> right, because none of them are, like, up-to-date stories. It's all like hearsay. Right. And then it's like, well, why are we still talking about Anthony Kim? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, hey, that's a that's a great question, I think, maybe to end on. Why do we still talk about Anthony Kim? I think it's because our tour pros nowadays are so cut and dry. They're so bland, you know? I mean, who's like who's who's a, a, a big personality nowadays? Poulter? Um, obviously Tiger. I mean Kepka's got his little whole kind of like I'm pissed off at the world chip on my shoulder type thing. Bryson's kind of nuts, which I love, but there's not many others. JT, I think is is he has a a personality that he shows off. But yeah, you're right. You know, I mean Jordan when he's playing well, yelling at the ball, talking to it. He's he's definitely his own person. But mm-hmm. it's it's not the tour of the '70s where you know everyone was completely different, and it's not it's not even the tour of the the 2000s when when Tiger was on top and everyone else was trying to come at him and, and come get him, you know? Yep, absolutely. I think they're searching for a little bit of an identity nowadays. This, is, this new crop tends to uh, take its time coming up and establishing themselves. And the problem is everyone's so good nowadays that you get, thir- you know, 
35, 37 different winners in a year. When when Tiger was at, you know, the top, well, hell, he was good for seven or eight wins. Phil was good for three or four wins. Els was good for two or three. VJ was good for two or three. Yeah, that whole crew. Yeah, so you had like four, four to six guys that were taking up, you know, probably 65% of the wins. And then it was special when someone else won a tournament. Nowadays, everyone's so good. I mean, any dude in tight-fitting pants, a good polo, and a sponsor hat could show up and win a PGA Tour event. Right. And even if, you know, they haven't played in that many before, look at last year with Wolf and Morikawa, you know, coming out and winning within their first five time, you know, five rounds on, you know, five uh, tournaments out there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, those are those are two guys that have some personalities along with Hovland. You know, they've got a little bit of a swagger about them. They're definitely different. They break the mold a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, but but hey, we still cling to the aura that is Anthony Kim. Yeah, it's whatever. Maybe he'll show up again. Maybe. Maybe he'll show up on the pod one day. Do you want to do uh, picks for this week? or? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, what the hell? I might as well lose again, right? It doesn't really matter at this point. I'm 0-2. Hey, uh, listen, I, I'm just as likely to not have it. <laughs> so. All right, let me see. Let me see. Let me take a look. I, so I think we're, you, you we're, mentioned before we started that there were somebody on there had predicted Sunjay M by five strokes. Yeah, well, it's funny because, you know, we get uh, a <laughs> I, I do look if you send us random things on Instagram, like I'm not going to lie. I, I enjoy it. Um, but we were, you know, kind of uh, crowdsourcing for questions. And somebody just said Sanjay Sanjay M wins by five this weekend. Oh, <laughs> OK. Um, not a question, but I, I like your um, I like your commitment to that. Scott, I, uh, who who's expert right. on the on PGA Tours fantasy golf? Do like him so? Well, Sanjay M plays every single week, so you gotta you know he doesn't have a home. Um, all right, so it's the American Express. They're playing the stadium course, obviously in La Quinta, California, home of uh, home of. Um, David Duval's 59 to win, probably the most impressive 59, I, I would think, in my opinion. Who do I like mm-hmm. this week? They're playing on three different courses, and I'll tell you what, Scott, I'm going with Tony Finau. Okay. Yeah, he's going to get it, get another win. He's going to start the year off right. He's not going to break his ankle or dislocate it, pop it back in. He's good to go. Tony Finau wins the American Express. Okay. Uh, I like that. Uh, I, however, am going to take Paul Casey. Yeah, which means Paul Casey will probably win or finish top three, and Tony Finau will miss the cut. Right. And again, he's, you know, it could go either way. Could go either way. But, I mean, I think Paul Casey's been playing pretty well, so I'll go with him. All right, so you're locked in with Paul Casey. I'm locked in with Tony Finau. Uh, go follow us on Instagram, at Leave the Pin. Follow Scott, at LTP underscore Scott. Follow everyone else on the Leave the Pin and crew. At, LT, at, at LTP underscore creator for Tyler and at LTP underscore golfing with dad for Derek and also at train on main for other Dan and uh, Scott and I are probably going to get snowed in this weekend. So we're thinking about dropping our USGA podcast on Saturday or so. So look out for that. That's going to be a, a tour inside the vault. 
of the USGA. It's going to be a kind of behind the scenes of what we saw and what we were able to uh, be entertained with at the USGA headquarters in Liberty Corner, New Jersey. Scott, anything else for the good people out there? Nope. Uh, hopefully it doesn't you know, snow where you are and you can get out and play some golf. For sure, that would be awesome. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying. Be good, everyone. Thank you.